two guys is World War One, and they're French, and they're they're stuck in the German dark forest, and they're hungry. It's Jean Luc and Jean uh, Claude. So Jean Luc says, Jean Claude, eh, I am hungry, and I want to go and find something to eat. Jean Claude says, You'll go find it, and I will wait here because they didn't know the Germans were around. So Jean Luc goes into the woods, and he's gone. He's gone. It's a couple hours. He kind of comes back out of the woods finally. And he's torn up. And, oh, bef- you know, yep, I, blew thank this, you, I blew this whole joke. I blew it. I blew it completely. Oh, my gosh. Are you going to cut poor that poor listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Can I do it again? Let me do it again. I'll shorten it. Okay. Okay. Got to cut that. Okay. Cut that. okay. Yeah. This is the edit. Okay. You really think I'm going to cut that? <laughs> I blew it. No, don't. I blew the joke. Okay. Okay. Start over. Mark, take two. Hello, I'm Annette, and thanks for listening to my podcast. Today, uh, the tables are going to be turned a little bit because I have a guest host who is going to interview me. His name is Mark Nair. He's one of our professors. He's an entrepreneur, professor at Emerald College, and the department chair of... Is business? In emerging, in emerging te- technology. Okay, yeah. thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I thought this might be timely with the primaries coming up because I have been a candidate for state office in two different primaries. And I want to read a, just a little quote here. It's from David Halberstam, author of The Best and the Brightest. And he's talking about when Lyndon Johnson came back to Sam Rayburn, who was speaker, his mentor. And he was so excited about the team that uh, Kennedy had put together. So Sam Rayburn listened to him and said, well, Lyndon, you may be right, and they may be every bit as intelligent as you say, but I'd feel a whole lot better about them if just one of them had run for sheriff once. (laughs) And from that, I'll let Mark take over. Thanks for being here, Mark. Well, thank you, Annette. It's so good to be here. Um, Well, everybody, my guest today is Annette Carlisle. She describes herself as... um, an awesome community nag. But let's not think about that. Let's think about the awesome part. So, Annette, why are you insane? <laughs> you ask that because I've run so, for so many offices. I have. Right? I have. I think you have to have. Uh, we are kind of partners in that kind of thing, and, and there must be something wrong with us. What is wrong with us? I think it's because we're trying to make a difference. And unfortunately, politics is the way you can do that sometimes, uh, for better, for worse. And uh, You know, I just realized that, the word tick is in politics because it's like a blood-sucking leech. We won't go there. <laughs> so, As a politician, I won't go there. What, what's your background in that? Where'd you come from? I came from Borger, Texas, about an hour from Amarillo. Never thought I'd be back in the panhandle, but here I am and love it. We've been back, I've been back for 32 years. Wait, so you've been back from where? You were in Borger, which is in the panhandle. And I went to school at Texas Tech, mm-hmm. got my undergrad and my master's. Mm-hmm. I worked on my PhD at University mm-hmm. of Houston, mm-hmm. and I'm all on one of those ABDs, all but dissertation, PhD students. And then I started moving around and having babies. So I've lived in East Tennessee. I've lived in New Orleans. Uh, oh, Houston before either of those, and then back to Amarillo. Now, I know you love New Orleans. Why were you in New Orleans? You're in New Orleans for my husband to go to medical school. Is it New Orleans or New Orleans? I'm sorry. We were in New Orleans for my husband to do his residency after medical school, to his second and third. And then he did his fellowship in infectious disease. So so you go to medical school, uh, something, something, something. You went to become ma- a Doogie Hauser. You go and s- solve people's problems. More importantly, do you spell it New Orleans or New Orleans? Spell it, pronounce it. You say New Orleans. Mm. Not New Orleans. Not New Orleans? No. New Orleans. Okay. New Orleans. New okay. Orleans. I lived there when I was in fourth grade. So you should know. No. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> so you lived in New Orleans, or I think New Orleans is what you said. New Orleans. And, and, then, and then you moved um, back with your husband who had finished his Doogie Hauser apprenticeship and back to Texas. Back to Texas. Back to the Panhandle. Which I love. The Panhandle region, what is that region? Explain it's the top me. 26 counties. Uh, it's a square part of Texas, for those of you who aren't familiar with it. If you've seen the film Bernie, the movie Bernie, it's where the big question mark is. I was going to say the top 26, by the top you mean the best 26 Absolutely. Counties. All right, there we go. So the top 26, it's, it's that rectangle part that you hold on to, like a, the Panhandle. It's the handle of a pan. I guess the rest of Texas is the filling. <laughs> so making a crepe. 
All right. So how long have you been here? 32 years. After you moved back? Almost 32 years. Yes. So let's see, you're about what, 180? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'm 179. I thought you were a friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're back in the panhandle. Mm-hmm. You're living in Amarillo now. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? At that point in time, I had two young children, two boys, and we, the first year we were here, had our third. And so I got very involved in the PTA at the local elementary school, Bivens Elementary, in my neighborhood. And it's a lovely school and a lovely neighborhood. And my background is science. I'm an evolutionary biologist. So ah, so that's your major? That's, your... that's my degrees are in zoology and biology. Yes. And so that's what you're studying before, in graduate school? Correct. Got it. And so I tend to look at systems level things and slow change over time. So as I was looking at the importance of education for not just my kids, but for all kids, I got involved in the PTA. And then a few years later, 1996 to be exact, I ran for the school board and was elected mm. and served 19 years on the school board. So in that's, Amarillo the, that's the Amarillo Independent School District. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And you, 19 years. 19 years. So you must have liked it. I did like it. I really felt like it was a good way for me to participate and contribute some of my skills and talents. Working with the other wonderful board members and leadership of the district, I was uh, fortunate to work with. Were they really wonderful? They were. Uh, yeah. Well, because on school district board, you're not really a politician yet, right? I mean, you can do good and tell the truth. When I ran for my first election, a very well-placed local individual who's very involved in politics at multiple levels pointed out to me, this isn't just the school board. You're dealing with people's two most precious things, their money and their children. Mm -hmm. So you better take it seriously. Mm -hmm. But as politician, I mean, a disparaging way, you weren't really slimy. Politician isn't slimy to me. Just some politicians are. <laughs> Oh, our experiences have been different. So, all right. All right. So you're on the school board, mm -hmm. 19 years. What, what's one of the best things, one of the things you're most proud about being uh, on the school board? Or what are you most proud of? I'll put it that way. Probably something that spun off of my experiences from the school board. And that was just looking at the, the systems as, as entire systems that were mostly disconnected. Mm -hmm. And... In order for us to be a thriving community, we needed those systems connected. So I, I pulled together with some other great leaders and just supporters and uh, committed individuals in the community, an organization called Panhandle 2020. And I'm a data person, so and it didn't take a scientist to figure out our communities were changing, our state was changing, and if we wanted our future community to thrive, we really needed to make sure we understood what was happening uh, and how to educate all so, of our children. All this time, I thought 2020 was about getting people glasses. <laughs> so I was wrong about that? Yeah, it's, you're wrong. So I gotta, I'm, or just I'm, glasses I'm, to see the future. That's what we're trying hey, to do. good twist on yeah. a terrible joke. <laughs> so why was it called 2020? Well, when we came up with that name, it was probably 2002, maybe 2003. And that seemed a long time from now. And if we're focusing on the future, well, tw the year 2020 was in the future, but we also understood that was the vision because we were trying to set, establish a vision for our community and try to s establish things that would help us get there. So today, it's not 1993, 1961, 19-whatever. 19 no, it's, it's 2020. So that vision, that future that you saw back when you first started this, what do you think's happened? We've educated the community a lot about mm -hmm. a number of things. Our biggest focus areas have been on the issues of improving our educational attainment levels and facing the realities of families and individuals struggling in poverty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you think that you've made progress with Panhandle 2020 to get this region into a certain place for the future? Absolutely. Yeah. When we began, number one, nobody knew these numbers. Nobody was... You mean the numbers 2020? Because I thought it was classic. Nobody knew what the demographer came and talked about. Yeah. And it, when he, it was Steve Murdoch, he's a friend of mine, who was at the time a state demographer, 
came to Amarillo and kicked us off in 2003 with some other folks. And we had a big community event. And the projections were becoming poorer and less educated. Mm-hmm. And people told me we were lying about the numbers. And I don't lie about numbers. Yeah. I just face the facts. And so... You just let the numbers do the lying for you. I let the numbers tell the real story. The numbers always tell the real story. That's they right. If they're real numbers. So we we pulled together a coalition, later came under the Emerald Area Foundation, and our big focus areas have been on establishing systems to improve educational attainment, access, the quality of education, folks in the room knowing each other, mm-hmm. because when we started, they didn't, and now we all have multiple meetings together and really try to do a lot of projects together. So when you say we have multiple meetings now, I'm assuming from that that the work of 2020 isn't done. The work of 2020 isn't done. Mm -hmm. The 2020 organization is dormant right now, but the work continues and the collaborations and the partnerships that we started and that continue. In the work of the P16 Council, the Texas Panhandle P16 Council, which is a very active P16 Council for Texas, in the work of the No Limits, No Excuses work uh, initiative, that's uh, the partnership that's run by the Amarillo Area Foundation, it continues, for example, the work at Emerald College that we're getting national recognition for, the poverty reduction, the really facing who our students are. Well, I'll tell you, just even from my little monkey brain perspective, the conversation you started is the most important thing where we are today in 2020. And people can bicker, well, we don't have this, we have this, whatever it is. We have a Tesla charging station, I know that. But where we're going in the future is dependent upon this conversation you started a long time ago. So I just want to say thank you for doing that because it is important. It and is. all those things that you thank listed you. are all these things that have come off of it. And sometimes I don't think people give you the right credit for that because without you doing that, all these other things wouldn't have existed at all. We would be nowhere. Thank so you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. But it, it wasn't just me. We had wonderful folks who were committed to it, who were continuing the work that I'm not involved in anymore, you know, at some level. I just want to make sure I settle that because you gave me $5 to say it. I just want to make sure. <laughs> okay, I have sure. editing power too. <laughs> <laughs> so so you did 2020. Mm-hmm. In between all this, in, in the middle of 2020 living, you decided to try something else. Well, unfortunately, being involved in public ed in Texas turns you into someone who pays attention to politics and the legislature, both of which I really didn't much attention to before. So over the years, as the continued funding declined for public education from the state uh, and just intentional degradation of things that hurt or, you know, that wouldn't enhance public ed, uh, the accountability system, the reduced funding, just the reduction of local control, um, I kind of got fed up. And I'd been asked before, but then I had a friend take me out to lunch and asked me to run for the state house in 2005. Mm -hmm. And I got sick at my stomach. Because it was a bad lunch? (laughs) Because it scared scared me to death. We won't say where you had lunch. Because it scared me to death. To do it. To do it. Because I was, at that time, I really didn't like talking in front of people. I was very shy. I, I mean, I was passionate about the stuff that I worked on, about the issues that I worked on. But I really... I knew I would have to talk about myself and that I hated that. Of course, I'd focus it around the issues, but it still scared me to death. But I went home, told my husband, who sank in his chair, and my youngest son, who was in the room at the time, said, Mom, they need you. You need to do it. Mm-hmm. How old was your son then? Uh, 2005. I guess he was 15. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. old enough to have some wisdom behind him yeah. right? to say yeah. that. And your husband, is he still in that chair? <laughs> Sounds like a pretty comfy chair. A puddle, puddle on the floor right <laughs> now after, after all well, these Well, you years. went through some stuff. So let's talk about that. Well, that's that's kind of why I wanted to talk today. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because because it, it shows people, I think it's important that people, especially you, and you had a passion, you wanted to make some changes, so you decided to go for it. So you did. I and did. In 2005, uh, late August, was that very memorable lunch and uh, consideration of running. And 
I started talking to people and I started getting some support Mm -hmm. and I started getting some people say, I would support you another time, but I'm not going to go against the incumbent. And, uh, you know, they were supporting the incumbent, which was fine. And, And that was, I respected anybody who could tell me that Mm -hmm. the ones who couldn't tell me that kind of went down a notch or two. (laughs) They're they're on the, they're on the burn list now. And they're not on the burn list. They're on like, I've got a big burn list. (laughs) We'll we'll talk about your story later. Burn burn that (laughs) list. But I decided to do it. I I got a lot of support. Um, I had no idea what I was getting into. I visited with some local political politicos who really warned me what I was getting into. They had me talk to somebody who was a big wig in politics campaigning at the state level. And I hung up that phone shaking because he had told me that little lady, they're going to take out a chainsaw and saw off your legs. Wait a minute. So somebody that you knew called you little lady? Somebody I spoke with on the phone. Mm, because today in 2020, I look at Annette Carlisle and someone say, hey, little lady, and I figure some Aikido's coming out, you're going to throw that guy down. <laughs> I, I really want to see that. Well, I'm from Texas, and so I'm used to that. But Nah, no more. No more. <laughs> no more little lady. So, well, Unless this, you're really little, like an inch tall. Like, okay, are you trying to tell the audience how big I really am? You're, you're larger <laughs> than an inch. <laughs> so... Uh, this little lady uh, had a fire in her belly, and even in spite of that, uh, with some help of some friends, including you, pulled together a team. And it, you know, it was only for at the time the House District eighty seven that is now held by my friend Four Price. It was only four counties, but that seemed enormous mm-hmm. to me. Four of the twenty six counties in the Texas Panhandle, and. I had no idea what I was getting into, and looking back, if I'd have known, I might not have done it, but I'm glad I did it because it made me a stronger person. So I want to particularly bring up a story that I think is really emblematic of the whole problem in politics. Was that when I set my pants on fire? Well, that fire in the belly went right to the (laughs) pants, so that was a whole other problem. No, it's the story. You had a campaign office, and you got a fax. Um, when you were, there's an application process and there are deadlines. So go ahead and, and, and tell that about what happened that fateful night. So I had filed in early December, I believe. I mean, that's when I had my announcement, as I recall. And I was scared to death. I think I took drugs to be able to talk at it. And I had my friends and family there, but I got through it. As a disclaimer, those drugs are pharmaceutical drugs that you can get at a pharmaceutical place that has a prescription thing. We call them from a doctor. We call them scripts in the business. I know <laughs> this because I know your husband. Early in December, not long after I had uh, announced, the Dallas Morning News had a picture of me in their editorial saying this was the one race to watch. I was going up against an incumbent who was one of Governor Perry's lieutenants, so mm-hmm. so to speak. And he and I had been friends, and he and I, I, t- I made an appointment to connect with him to let him know I was going to run. And that appointment, I mean, I felt like it was the friendly thing to do, and I thought we could just have an adult conversation. There were some things said there by my opponent that I'm not going to repeat, but I really was surprised. Well, so... You don't want to repeat them or you can't? Like Spock's name in Star Trek, you can't really say, you can't pronounce it. So did he say the things that had and I are multiple consonants and it's hard to pronounce? Like Fulalajaya? There was nothing inappropriate said. It's just the content might have been less than what I had hoped for. Okay, little lady. So <laughs> so you had a meeting trying we to be professional. had a meeting trying to be professional. Uh, Started by saying, I'm taking you down to Chinatown. No, but right. if only. just a heads up. And I thought that was the appropriate thing to do. So anyway, Dallas Morning News said we were that was the race to watch because a longtime school board member, school board president, multiple times was running and in an election that would have a lot of attention across the state on education. So we get through the holidays. I have a campaign office that had been loaned to me by a friend and supporter. I had an employee there and it's Friday afternoon, and it's late, and everybody goes home. So Monday morning, and that Friday was the end of the filing date. Yeah, so the deadline was 5 o'clock or something. So at a few minutes before 5, we had received a fax with no one there 
from the Republican Party claiming that I had been removed from the ballot. It's like 448, 458 or something. Yeah, like something just last minute. So they removed me from the ballot. And they thought I would roll over, whine, complain. Uh, and the reason they said I was removed from the ballot was uh, for my lucrative position as a school board member. Mm. For those who don't know, school board members in Texas do not earn any kind of stipend, any kind of living wage, uh, any kind of wage at all. Uh, no $10 a meeting, like I think you did as city oh, council. Oh, so glorious, that $10. <laughs> so they thought I would just complain and it would be over. So the argument was... You are getting compensated, uh, basically your glory of being on the city. I mean, on the school board, and you are trying to parlay that or something where there is a conflict in the law that you can't be on the ballot because of whatever uh, enumeration you're getting on the school board. That's what they're arguing. They were, yes, they were, yeah, the mysterious faxing people. Yes, Republican Party of Texas, and so their argument was that the receipts that I got reimbursed for for school district travel to meetings for training mandated by the state counted as compensation. I tell you, that's that RB sandwich right there. It's going to kill you every time. This was not the first time they'd done this to an opponent of this oh, is that right? individual. No, I didn't they know that. Patty Lou Dawkins. She was on the oh. mental health board, I yeah. believe, in yeah. Texas and did get some minimal compensation, kind of like city yeah. council here does. And so it was upheld. But uh, And that had been some years before. But this time, my friend who had been uh, our attorney at the school district uh, was a good friend, Don Dean, and he said, no, we're not going to let this stand. So he and his team pulled together a writ of mandamus to the Supreme Court of Texas. Um, This is all way over my head at the time. It still is. But we were all excited. He was excited he would get to argue in front of the Supreme Court. But they turned it around in less than 24 hours and put me back on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was statewide news then. So, Annette, who rolled over then? Was that you, the little lady? I don't think so. No. Yeah. No. We but, stood up to the big yeah. dogs who yeah. were. The chumps rolled over. Yeah. Because right? someone called them on it. We called them on it, and I had the support of enough folks who had, had the talents to, to fight back. So that happened, and if the election had been within the next 30 days, it would have been a landslide for me because public opinion and the Globe News, amazingly, I was front page. They loved me. They all over the place. The Globe News, by the way, um, was a newspaper in Amarillo, Texas. Uh, I think it's still a paper, isn't it? Is it still there? It's it is still a paper, but it's it's, it's for the five people who. Read yeah, it. it's not it's not as quite a robust as it. Yeah, has been back in back in this heyday, the Globe News had um, certain vindictive um, properties about it with certain people. So over time, but at this point in time, they were at least covering the news as they should have. And and I'll be honest, if we hadn't had the Globe News during the launch of the Emerald Globe News during the launch of Panhandle twenty twenty, we wouldn't have had the publicity, the understanding the wherewithal to do the things that we've done because they provided a central repository of information that no longer exists today in our community. And that's sad. Well, you got your Twitter. Got your Twitter. Got your Twitter. And this was during, you know, this is pre-Facebook days, pre-Twitter days, pre, you know, pre-much internet days. I did have a website, but that was about it. So you you survived this, I don't want to call that challenge. You survived this little snarky thing that people tried to do to you to make you run away. They're just trying to bully you. That's all. But that actually gave me my voice. And now I am not the shy little lady anymore. <laughs> yeah, those are not words I would use, uh, <laughs> use for you. So, so the, the campaign goes on. You're running. You're talking to a lot of people. So the campaign, it's interesting. And it's, I'll go back to the quote of Sam Rayburn. I just wish some of them had run for sheriff. Mm-hmm. If you have never run a campaign of this level or of any level, you're not in the sisterhood or brotherhood of that, and you just don't understand the challenges. And I know I want to tell everybody out there, if you're passionate about something, run for it, but don't do it unless you're really ready. It takes money. It takes time. It takes your energy. It takes time away from your family. It, well, it's completely ridiculous. Really. It's compl- I mean, when I first ran, was deciding to run, I was at some meeting in the evening and a guy asked me you know you should run you should run and I was like or told me that and I said okay you see that stage that the man was speaking it was actually a legislator from somewhere else 
And I said, it's like getting up there and taking off all my clothes and turning around slowly for everybody to throw things at me, to complain about me, and I would feel that vulnerable. So Mm -hmm. it's really wasn't something I was ready to do. Now, I know some people love campaigning. I don't. I never did. Yeah, the naked rotisserie thing on the campaign (laughs) is really a good analogy, and it really is terrible. Yeah. Right. And I did it anyway. So ultimately, though, what happened? Well, after, I just have to tell the setting my pants on fire story. So it was Saturday morning. I should have been block walking, but it was a beautiful, going to be a beautiful spring day in Texas Panhandle. And the primary is March 7th, I think, that year. Mm-hmm. So so we're coming up to March, but it's, it's February. And I'm like, I'm going to work in the garden because I love to garden and it's good therapy for me. So I, you know, took a shower. I don't know why I took a shower, but I took a shower to go work in the dirt, and I laid my my work jeans down on the counter, and I was drying my hair. And out of the corner of my eye, I see flames <laughs> erupting. Well, I'd lit a candle to kind of you know set the mood of just calm and relaxing, and I set my pants on fire. But at least they were my old jeans and not too big a loss. You know, I'm going to be number one in line to fight for the right for the campaign of the burning pants. <laughs> Let's change this country. <laughs> burning pants, 100 burning pants, 2020. You know, there's all sorts of directions I could go with that and I won't. <laughs> okay. We're campaigning January, February, and into March and March 7th comes. But again, you got to understand it took enormous time, enormous energy, enormous amounts of money. And it's nothing compared to what it is today. Mm-hmm. And you're shaking down your friends, and you're shaking down your friends again, and you're shaking down your supporters again. And, you know, thank you to everyone who contributed, and thank you to those who supported the opponent. I mean, whoever, you know, support the person you want to support. And I appreciate the folks who did things for me so much. But at the end of the day, the end of March 7th, uh, we had a campaign election watch event. No results were in. Mm -hmm. But... I looked at it like my son, my oldest son, Walker, who's my mathematician guy, and I said, I can't win. My campaign manager, hey, Brian, uh, Brian Mays out of Dallas area, worked his rear end off, and we did pretty darn good. But the election results from Potter County of the four counties didn't come in until 5 a.m. Now, was there something fishy going on? We'll never know. And it's okay. March 7th was the election March 8th was crickets. Mm-hmm. You know, after going from really uh, being the center of attention for a lot of folks, uh, you, you're not when you lose. And I lost by, I don't know, six, eight points somewhere spread. But against an incumbent who, let me tell you what the opposing fellow Republicans did. They sent Rick Perry's team, campaign team up three weeks prior yes, to run the election. Yeah, that, that's what they did. They uh, sent every single Republican against me. Mm-hmm. And I even called our congressman and said, "Why? who's a friend? And say, why are you getting into this? His response was, and he sent a nice letter just saying support the other guy. So why are you getting involved in this? He said, you should have seen what they asked me to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was the prim- this is the primary. So you were running as a Republican. Yes. So you're part of the tribe. Part of the tribe. But you kind of basically got primaried, really. I mean, they came in with mm-hmm. a different kind of message, protection. You say protection money, but they, they protected oh, they spent, the seat. They spent a lot more than me. They, and they did. They, they had deeper pockets than I had. Yeah. And I spent more than I should have. But we, uh, and two weeks, two weeks before the election, we're at the farthest end from the valley as you can get in Texas. And they named that incumbent, my then opponent, as the czar of immigration. I forgot all about that. Yeah, two weeks. So, you know, he's going to watch the border from the Texas panhandle. Uh, Well, it's amazing what, you know, like little now optics can do in good binoculars. Well, (laughs) I can see cheese on the moon. It's made out of that. It's amazing. So I don't doubt that you can watch the Texas border from his backyard. in Texas. You can see Russia. That's where I'm going. That's right. (laughs) You could see you could smell the fish, you know, the stinky fish there. And, you know, that's all, that's just the way the game is played. And that's part of the point of this podcast is to say, you will have things done and thrown against you. I would get flyers about with pictures of babies on them. It's no secret. I love 
the opponent's name. And, See, you know, like I'm a mom of three yeah, boys so, that I've raised so lovingly. I, and I kinda, they throw stuff at you, you like know, that. Well, hey, I hear you. But I reject the idea that this is how the game is played. That's how they played the game. Because it, it, because I don't like to frame this in terms of there's a game and we have two sides and we have rules. All it is is power. Mm-hmm. And it's just holding on to power. Sure. And they're doing everything they can. There are no rules, really. I mean, we both live through it. People break these rules. They are dishonest. They'll lie to your face. They'll do all sorts of things to get an advantage because it's for the power. But so, that's not the right thing to do. It's absolutely not. That's why I want to reject the idea of gamesmanship. And instead, kind of frame this in terms of uh, craftsmanship, right? Well, I mean, let's, it's just let's do crappy. that. Well, yeah. and craftsmanship, you know, and being a professional, you'll recall some of the things that the campaign designers came up with for mm-hmm. me to do, and I refused to do it. You did refuse, right? You because, held a very moral stance on that. Because I wanted to be able to look myself in the mirror when the election was over, win or lose. That's right. The one where it said, Annette can, um, I think you can hold a thousand pounds with your pinky. That was a good one, but no, rejected. <laughs> um, you can lift a Volkswagen. No, Maybe. Didn't like it. So No, but there were things. There were some things that looked really that, tacky. There were and things. And I wasn't going to do that that's to right. my opponent. No, and I really appreciated that about you, and you just wouldn't at all. Even some of the stuff we did do that was legitimate bothered me, but it's... That's part of the campaign. What's one of the things that you were bothered by that you did? Just having to use really strong language about why I was against my opponent. Mm-hmm. Even now today, we can see signs out here in uh, Amarillo, Texas, where we are today, um, for the primary. Uh, the Republican. There's a Mac Thornberry used to, well, he's the congressional representative here, and, and he's not running again. And so some people are running. See these signs, the conservative choice, brave, proud. Conservative. Yeah. What does this mean anymore? Well, it's just all lingo that, you know, they're going to use. It it means nothing. There's nothing about how we deal with the future, nothing about where we're trying to go, nothing about how we solve the issues that we have here in the panhandle, which are significant. It's still the same words. And the reason I ran was to plan for the future. I mean, that's how we started Panhandle 2020. It was with the question, who is planning for the future? That's why I was there on your team with you. And get past the two-year cycle of just getting reelected. And there's always the question, would I become just one of them? You know, that that's part of the reason I was scared to run, is I didn't want to. Maybe I would have been totally worthless. <laughs> Who knows? But no, no, no. See, not getting, see, you're not giving yourself enough credit. There's plenty of things you'd be worthless for besides <laughs> politics. I mean, come on. I already have a list. You know, Aikido. I mean, we're both worthless in Aikido. That's for sure. So I'm more worthless than you there. Well, because I've been showing up. Yeah. So if I had gotten elected, though, look around. Well, let me ask you that question, because really this comes to the normal question. Would be, Do you regret doing it? And I don't want to ask that question. The question I want to ask is. What were the consequences of you not winning? And the consequences, it's a poor word also, the benefits of you not winning. I'll put it that way. What happened because you were not spending your time in Austin? Well, in 2006, when this election was, that summer and fall is when we launched the educational attainment study that mm-hmm. led to the, to the report that we released in 2007 entitled The Panhandle Imperative. The Economic Implications of Educational Attainment. That happened and the work that resulted from that. More years, you know, we got the Gates Grant for Partners for Post-Secondary Success based on some of that work and our partnerships. Uh, The poverty work, the poverty reduction work, the national focus on Amarillo College and the work we're doing that other people are replicating across the nation and maybe beyond and helping students. So there are students I will never meet who are benefiting from the work we started in Panhandle 2020. There are families who are benefiting from some of the models we created. So maybe it had a bigger impact than getting elected to the Texas House. I think that's exactly right. I think what happened was you you took this step that most people will never do. You suffered for it. You bled for it. You burned your pants for it. (laughs) But in the end, you didn't get the seat. And so what you did is you changed the motivate, not the motivation, you changed the tactics you were using for the same motivation. And you decided, I'm going to put all my energy into this and this and this. And I think, as your friend, that it's probably the best bullet you dodged is not winning that election and not being down there with all those boneheads. I say boneheads. Not all of them are boneheads. Uh, okay. I can't think of a couple who aren't boneheads. 
There's a guy. There's a guy. Yeah, there's a guy. There's some guys. A couple guys. A couple girls. A couple girls and guys. Dolls? Guys and dolls. Stop that. All right. Little ladies. Little ladies. No, I, there are... There's a good number of very well-meaning, very talented people who are in Austin representing people. There are. There are a big number of boneheads. But that's politics. But part of the concern here is the intent against local control, against uh, public education. So much of that is driven by privatization. Just wanting to really siphon local tax dollars to line a few wealthy pockets. Well, yeah. I will. Sure. And, well, yeah, sure, but that's not my motivation, so I don't understand it. Well, I mean, the calculus is very easy. We will support you to get a position of authority and power that you can wield how you want as long as you support us over here. And our investment as a company, for example, private jails, private prisons, you name it, our investment in you is minuscule to the return that we get. Yep. It's a very easy calculation. Says the man who teaches economics sometimes at Emerald College and does a very good job, according to his students. Ah, uh, thanks. I like that. Is the name of my class economics sometimes? Is that what it's called? <laughs> <laughs> Only on Thursdays we have no economy. <laughs> well, right now you're not teaching economics, right? No, I'm not. Okay, you're teaching coding, which we need. Yeah. And our students. After that, I was crazy enough to run for the State Board of Education. Let's talk about that for just a minute, because I don't need to go back through all the harrowing uh, campaign, which I have to say the two campaigns were very different. One one was a lot more, um, a lot bloodier. But mm-hmm. the State Board one, which had one, its Which one was bloodier? Uh, the House race. Yeah. But yeah. the State Board race, it had its moments. But if you divide the state of Texas up by 15, because there are 15 seats on the State Board of Education— and you do it by population, in the panhandle, you end up with a district, or in, in, in this district, District 15, with 77 counties. Yeah, I think the square mileage of that is more than Jupiter. It's about 100,000 square miles. Okay, more than Saturn. It goes reaches down the entire panhandle, of course, all down to Midland, Odessa, past San Angelo, over past Wichita Falls, within three hours of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, now, let me ask you, though, I thought you were a shoe-in for the State Board of Education. I thought this was going to be easy, no problem. You're going to waltz in there. You're going to say, my name is Annette, and I'm throwing it down. The mic drop before you even have to say anything. Easy peasy. But you worked your butt off on that one because you had to travel everywhere. You had to go to Dairy Queens where I didn't think they had electricity. I mean, you were all over the place. And it was expensive. And people don't realize the State Board of Education are elected people. So let me ask you about the state board. There is some stuff in national news about the Texas State Board. Texas and California are the most influential of all the state school boards. And, they are. And why is that? Um, because they they drive so much of the textbook mm-hmm. writing, the software selection, just you know anything that's promoted for you know that you can make money off of. Yep. So it's, it's basic economics. Then I mean, you got Rhode Island. Uh, compared to the size of Texas, Rhode Island is going to have to, the publisher is going to say, this is what we're going to do for you. So right. the Texas school board votes, right? Do they, they they talk about the content? Is that what their role is? That's part of their role. Mm-hmm. And in all fairness and honesty, my opponent who showed up at the last minute and decided to run really had no history in education, but he's been a good board member and probably, oh, it, probably so, a better state board member than I would have been. Yeah, this, this guy's name is Marty. Yeah. Marty's a cool cat, right? Yeah, and he's done a good job. Um, I won't talk about the campaign there. <laughs> okay, but I do want to. I do want to talk about the board though for a minute because I want to clarify this for people who might not know. Sure. All of your listeners who are in France in Paris right now. Um, so the the state board of elected people evaluate the content that we're teaching our children in right. K through twelve. If we can lean to a particular conservative angle, then they want evolution uh, out so, of those books. So let me ask you about that. Right. Evolution. Um, it's this made up thing that people think is true and whatever. Okay. <laughs> oh, wait, you said you're an evolutionary biologist. Sorry. I get it. I mind a burn list now. Are we making a burn list? <laughs> now, evolution is something we see, we can see happen in real time, actually. Um, Look at the coronavirus. Micro- yeah. Yes. Which is now yeah. called what? COVID-19, 18, 17, something like that. But 2020. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. 
That's a good one. So, um, but we see this in actions. I don't think there's a debate uh, for people who kind of know. I shouldn't say no stuff, but there's no debate about evolution, evolutionary processes. People can not a scientist. No, people confuse word theory with what a hypothesis is, unfortunately. Yeah. And we get into those conversations and semantics. But what I really want to focus on, though, is the power of this board and what they did. There was a guy, what was he, a dentist at a college station or Brian mm-hmm. or something like that? Was he the chair or something? For a while, yeah. yes. Was he the person who wanted to take out Thomas Jefferson from the school book, from the textbooks in Texas? There were a number of ultra-conservatives on the board at the time I agreed to run, which is why I wanted to run and try to be a member with rational views. Okay, Annette Carlisle, on the hot seat right now, Thomas Jefferson, in history books, yes or no? Of course, Yeah, yes. what what, what mean, the heck was this conversation? Why would they want to get rid of Thomas Jefferson? I, I, yeah, I know why. Because he rewrote the Bible, took out the miracles. Yeah. yeah. The Jefferson Bible. Yeah, right. So evolution, striking references to it, or, or what is it called? Teaching both sides? What's your no opinion comment. No comment? <laughs> oh, good grief. Says the there's evol- no two sides. No, no, no comment from the evolutionary biologist. No, there's no two sides. So, I mean, you teach science. So your you motivation science. your motivation was to, you hope, get elected to this board to bring a modicum of rational thinking back to it yes. in a period where we were under a national spotlight about how nutty things were. That was also the year that, let's talk about primaries. The primary was supposed to be in early March, and it got moved. Yeah, it did. It got moved to the end of May, mm-hmm. which added cost, time, energy. It was the election that got Ted Cruz elected mm-hmm. over Dewhurst because of because of moving that. It was a crazy time. I can't remember why they moved the primary. I don't Ted. remember either. And we could talk all day long about Ted Cruz. But, but I really want to focus on, though, you and what you're trying to accomplish and how, what the barriers were. That just moved the finish line. It just added weeks, months, actually, to mm-hmm. to the election. So major cycle. expense. Major expense, major time commitment. I hired a young gentleman as my aide and assistant, and he was worth his weight in gold. Mm-hmm. And we drove over 20,000 miles. It was crazy yeah. how much you had to go, yeah. right? So uh, a lot of time and, you know, just that's retail politics. But here, and here's, and here's, you're better at retail politics than I am when you choose to do it. <laughs> I groan. But here's the thing. People don't understand the relationship to their vote what's happening in the world. People don't know for the most part there's an elected school board of the, at the state level. Yes, and I'll put in a plug for Jay Johnson, who's running for State Board of Education in District 15. So I think he'd be great. What's District 15? District 15 is is the state board region that covers Amarillo, the Panhandle, Lubbock, Midland, so that's, all that. So District 15 is what you are running for? That's what I was running for. And now that Marty is not? Marty's not running, but Jay Johnson's a former school board member in Pampa, Texas, and he's a rational, good-thinking guy, and I'm supporting him for state board. Are there other people running? Not in the primary. He's unopposed in the primary, but okay. we'll have an opponent in the general. Got it. So let's talk about primaries, though, mm-hmm. why it's so important to vote in the primary that's going on right now. And I voted today. Today is a good day to vote. Today is a good day to vote. So is tomorrow. In Texas, we have so many of our, our elections. I'm sorry. After consultation with my electronic device, yes, I can now validate today is the 19th. Thank you for doing that. It's okay. That's what I'm here for. The but, 19th is the 19th, man. <laughs> Whatever. Comes around once in a while. And tomorrow will be the 20th of 2020. Not quite a palindrome, though. We already had that. But 0220. I think on the we, second. Yeah, we, we had our only palindrome. You know what my favorite palindrome is? A man, a plan, a canal, Panama. Love that one. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> Palindromes with Mark. Tune in on Tuesday nights, 930 Central. Primaries are very important in the state of Texas because of the way the districts are drawn, some of which have been gerrymandered a little bit to favor one party or the other. Gerrymandered a little bit, a lot of bit. A lot of bit. All right. And it's a redistricting year again. So answer your census. Our representatives. Yes, answer your census. That's very important. Or fill out the, whatever the word is, fill, fill out, it out. Fill out, the, yeah, fill out your census form. It's very important as far as the amount of funding we're allowed to, mm-hmm. or that we'll receive from the federal government. And we want the funding to build our roads, to do our things, to help our families. Uh, I say build those roads. So the but primary, primaries are typically, or often, where some of the elections are decided mm-hmm. in Texas. So if you don't vote on March 3rd or by then, you've wasted your opportunity to Stop vote. Stop your wibbling to so show up, do your okay. duty. Why don't we have, Annette Carlisle, why don't we have a federal election day for elections, a federal holiday for elections? I don't know. Hmm. 
But why do we have a day where schools are off for President's Day? That's the way we've always done things. I think we should have Election Day off and April Fool's Day off. That way you can hide if someone's going to try to do a joke on you, like quivering in fear and Election Day. The thing is, I think people don't want, some people don't want Election Day as a holiday because certain people who are working and can't make it to the polls, they don't want those people to have that day off. Because they might give up. That's right. There's maybe a lot of that. I think a lot. So the biases that we build into our systems create barriers for some of our families. And we're trying to break so down those Carlisle, barriers. Tell me, what do you think about technology in an election, like having an app on a phone so you can vote? Yes or no? Just don't make me build the app, but yes. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm opposed to that. I think it's a crazy idea. Considering how much success we've had with the electronic ballots, I think you're probably right. We have no audit trail. And someone who knows some technology, uh, this me, uh, it is scary. The ease of getting into systems now is very scary. Yeah, I've had some hackers hack into an old server of mine. I fought them. It was kind of a cool story. But it's not as hard as people think. Yeah. So the primary is an important time to vote. All, all, thing, all times are important times to vote. Economically it is inefficient to vote because people will think my vote doesn't count. But if you have a differential of a million votes, people say, well, it doesn't matter. My vote would be one million and one. But you're a group of people who are one million people who don't vote. And if you don't show up, then you have to stop wibbling. That's your voice you've thrown away. And my issue here is we've had a lot of people go back to suffrage and the suffrage movement. Those women were standing up for the right to do something that they couldn't legally do, and they got it. And how we squander that, we, not you and I, but how people squander that here is pretty amazing. And you and I both pay a lot of attention to politics and to races and to voting for the right individual and to trying to do research. It's tough. Not everybody has that time. Not everybody has the interest. I didn't used to, although I voted most all my life. It's so important for everyone to participate but we obfuscate it that's the problem we, we these campaigns they don't deal with what is the subject what is the problem we we have these phrases we say i'm the great conservative whatever i'm the great liberal well no one ever says liberal anymore but i'm the great progressive whatever i'm this and it's can because people aren't paying attention and and is it because we have a wealth of netflix and apple tv and youtube and whatever i don't think so because the the rates of participation would show a big decline. We don't see a decline. We just see kind of flat, no participation. Most elections are determined by those who don't show up. Yeah. What's the voting uh, here in Amarillo? The last college bond vote? What was that? 12%? Pretty small. The last municipal election, I think it was around 7%. I've had school board elections where uh, 3%. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? Yeah. Now let's say 3% of people came out and vote and let's say they split the vote 50, 51 to 49 so one and a half percent of the people who voted selected that person to represent them. Mm-hmm. Well, no wonder we have what we have in a lot of circumstances. And no wonder people feel like it's okay to not tell the whole truth when they're out there on the campaign trail or they obfuscate or they hide things because people aren't paying attention. So this podcast, this episode was about the fact that I've run for public office as in the primaries to try to focus on the primary and just and just the challenges of running elections. I've also I'm now serving in my fifth year uh, as an enrolled college regent. Do you have people in the community? Hey, say, hey, regent, because you wear that outfit with the, the buttons on it and the shiny stuff that says college regent on it. <laughs> so you're at Schlotsky's getting a sandwich. Do people come up and say, I got something for the college? Does anyone really come up to you and talk to you about that? Do they know that you're involved? Not as much as they used to on the school board. And when I was on the school board, I was school board president uh, for a number of years during that time. I would be on television a lot. So people, a lot of people knew me, yeah. uh, you know, both from that and 2020 work. And people would thank me for my service, which mm-hmm. I very much appreciate. I got a note the other day from somebody thanking me for my service on Emerald College Board. But most people don't have a clue. And I, I most people yeah. only care about it when the UIL redistricting challenges happen. And then they get mad at you because you have no authority over it, but they expect you to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think most people, I think most people don't realize that Emerald College has an elected board of representatives, even though you guys can vote to increase taxes. Yep. I don't think people know that. I know people don't know that. And I'll thank the voters for passing our bond election that we're about to implement here. So 
Yeah, thanks, voters. That was good. Yeah, that was, that, that, was a, that was an important thing. But I'm not the only one in the room who's run for public office. No, we have an invisible person here in the corner named Mr. Sad. So, Mark, you spent two years as an elected official at the city. I did. I single-handedly um, kept a bear of pharmaceuticals in business by chewing aspirin. And you campaigned. And, and like I said, you were better at retail politics than me because you block walked. I hated block walking. You 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 got out and talked talked to the man, and that's that's important. And I applaud you for that. Well, thanks. I cheated. I rode my bicycle everywhere. I did ride my bike, park it, knock on a door. Met some great people. Yeah, I mean, really great people. I also met a lot of scary dogs. I mean, oh wow, <laughs> some of those guys are coming right through the glass. You're no longer on that board, and uh, or on that commission. Council. City, no council. On the council. City council. Yeah, yeah, I was I was place four, okay. which is meaningless. That's just an abstraction. It's yeah. just a place. Yeah. But the city, I had people try to get me to run for the city, and I was like, I don't do, don't. I'm not. I mean, I'm. I wasn't interested. I'm. My passion is education, and that's what I really wanted to focus on. And that's what I'm still focused on through this podcast as well. Well, good because I'll tell you my experience at the city council. I had a couple of. I had enough ego. To say, I've got some ideas. We can grow the economy. We can do some stuff and all this kind of business, right? Nah. What do we do? We argue for years on a thing called an MPEV, which is now a baseball stadium. And we argue about this retail space, which is empty. And, well, actually, was it Joe Taco's going in? So thanks tax money on that. Um, we talked about um, stop signs a lot. And it was just bicker, bicker, bicker fest. And there wasn't the bigger idea. So we didn't get to the bigger idea. People asked me to run again, so I did. But you know what? I didn't spend any money. No, you I didn't, didn't really run that time. And there's a camp. There's a political action committee. What was it called? Eh, they spent a bunch of money. And here's the frustrating thing, and that's what I want to talk about. But based on your experience, because my experience is pretty awful. I mean, I saw these flyers go to houses, and they would say, "Hey, Mark asked a bunch of questions on the city council. He obviously doesn't know what he's talking about." Your job is to ask questions. I was really offended by that. Or, so was I. Or, hey, Mark likes red light tickets. He likes red light cameras. He voted for them. I never did anything like that. That was a, a, just a flat out lie. But the problem was the amount of money spent to portray this in a way that was wrong, ridiculously wrong, was enormous. And really, it's a political action campaign. It had like four or five big donors. Most everybody else gave them 100 bucks. For two. But you had a, several significant donors. So here's the problem. This is the dark money problem. Some of those donors were hide, you know, hidden by shell companies because I looked at all the numbers. And the problem is... You spend all this money to basically buy a group of people. And I, you know, the people I know, I, I know them up in the city council. I'm not saying they're evil people at all. I think that they have well-meaning and they're trying to do the right thing, but we're not asking the questions. We're talking about stuff, but what about Sears? Sears is gone from the mall. Is it anchors to gone? Sears is gone. Pier one is gone. Right. Um, we lost Zachary Engineering is gone. We have um, the Ambassador Hotel off of I-40. So we gone. talk about the Embassy Suites downtown. All right, fine. A lot of the people are investors in that hotel, and they wanted people in the city government to kind of be chummy with them. Now you're uh, taking my podcast to political direction. Yeah, whatever. You know, what, uh, we talk about this stuff, and we say, why do we do things, and why do we do not do things? And so when I wanted to, when I looked at the bigger picture, we're not asking the questions, and those questions are. In the panhandle, we make an argument that we say we have low unemployment. Yeah, we, we do. do. But it's high underemployment. Exactly right. We have, wages. we have so many people running, working multiple jobs and get paid minimum wage. You can't live off of that for one job. You can't really live off of it for two. And I see these students at Emerald College. They're coming to the college to build a better future for themselves. I see it all the time. And in the coding classes we're doing, it's a very specific skill. And they want that skill because they know that there's money there for them and there is a need for that in the market. We're matching that up. But we're not asking the question, the economic question and the proposal, how we bring more to where we live. Elon Musk opened all of his patents, right? Why aren't we building stuff? We have tons of space here. The wind energy that we see here in the panhandle, you know where that's going? San Antonio. We should have solar farms. We should be doing an awful lot of stuff. We One of the projects I worked on was getting a, a bus system between here and Lubbock for Texas Tech. Dead. You know. So there's no one driving forward except for the work you're doing, the work that you're doing with poverty, the work you're doing with the college. The college is the driving force right now. But municipal government, it's not. I mean, really. And I was in the middle of it. And I know the complete brain dead work that was happening when I was up there. And I'm just trying to be completely open. And I know the people that gave me grief about it. But the thing is, if we want to get people involved, 
and we want to get people to make some changes, political changes, it is hard to find people who are willing to go through the gauntlet like you did. It's nearly impossible. In the Texas panhandle, the story of growth, we're not having that conversation. We sort of do, right? We, we talk about, hey, we're doing this. We, we got a meat packing plant. You know, we talked about that. But is that the story of growth that we can really do for the future? And I don't think it is. I think the college is answering that question. The college, part of the um, bond issue that Annette just thanked everybody for is this innovation hub the college is going to build. Um, and we've got to do that right. We do have to do it right. But focusing on how we innovate out of the problem is the right way of thinking about it. I gave a talk about this in Chicago um, a few months ago. I have to go out of state so people will actually listen to what I want to say. I can't do it here. Or be on my podcast. Apparently. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but there are many things that we can do to solve or at least try to address the problem. I mean, when we talk about issues, endemic issues, homelessness issue, this, this is my city council story. I just want to ask, what was the, the root cause in Amarillo? What are we doing here? Is it we have people on their way through? Is it the railroad? What is it here that makes this problem kind of exacerbate? The answer was, that's a ridiculous thing. If you answer that question, you're some kind of genius. Everyone's been trying to answer that. No, that's not. That's not. <laughs> so what we did, we ended up having a committee of like 5 billion people on it or something. Yeah, so that's super. That really helps. So we're not focusing the right way. And the work I like that you're doing is the focus in the right way. And the help that we're giving people individually, one by one, we just magnify that. And how we do it to make us where, say, Albuquerque is, where maybe Austin was and now is larger. But really, the Bernie thing you brought up earlier about the movie and the question mark in the panhandle is really a legitimate point. I mean, it's a big question mark. What's really happening? We have some growth, right? Got this cool thing with the vet school. That's pretty neat. We talk about scaling it, you know, one person and scaling it. When we are working with individuals in poverty, we initially thought, okay, this is having a five-fold effect, you know, because of their kids, their, their, their parents, their helping, whatever. But the longer we looked at it, the more we realized that we had about a tenfold effect. So if you help one individual, you're really kind of helping ten. So, and if you're looking at a Potter County, you know, one fourth of the population lives below poverty, really about half live below what it takes to get by. So you're talking 70,000 people. How do you scale something to fit 70,000 people and do it one person at a time? Well, when you're serving a thousand families or individuals, then suddenly that's 10,000 people you're impacting. Mm -hmm. So, so it's not ridiculous to understand that you can scale these processes up to really address the big issues that we've got. But the big issues are systemic barriers, uh, historical segregation, you know, socioeconomic segregation. Uh, you know, there's a lot of issues that you can't talk about, but they're the real issues. Well, we should talk about it. Sure. So my focus on all of this is entrepreneurship, right? Giving people their own destiny in their hands and trying to create something. Uh, I'm a mentor for the Texas Tech um, Innovation Hub and how we can build those kind of processes here. And perhaps the answer to remove those barriers is to give everybody the same opportunity to build what they want if they're interested in doing it because it takes a lot of work. And I had a company went to the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, it's a lot of money, a lot of investment, a lot of time. And do we, what do we do? We make a new model. It's all this kind of thinking. And we have to teach people that. So instead of saying, hey, we have a new taco shop that's opened or a new bakery that employs two people, perhaps we can build a company that has some exports to other states that we employ 300 people. One of the things we do say, and we, we tell the story, and I think it's a valid story, is we'll teach you some kind of skills and then you can work for companies that don't exist here, but you can live here and do those jobs, that remote work. And why would you want to live here? If you're talking to somebody who's never been to the Texas Panhandle, I mean, I can wax poetic for a long time, but you didn't used to live here, and you live here now and raised your family here. Why live here? So there are two parts to this answer. There's the economic part, low cost of living, right? Although our groceries are not as low as you think relative to other places. But property values are pretty low. Tax rate is pretty low. I had a lot of people tell me on city council, Keep the tax rates low. That's why people move here. But the opposite side of that is then why do people move to Brooklyn? Why are people moving to California? Exactly. And the reason that they're moving is because they pay a lot in their taxes, but they get a lot out of it. They get uh, jobs, namely. Uh, and then there's other benefits too, like quality of life benefits. But that leads me to the second point, which is a quality of life 
point because really one Amarillo is a large and small town at the same time. So yeah. you can make your way around pretty easily, right? It's, you can get to a place, you can do something pretty quick. Um, bike riding is kind of awful. Um, I say that as a bike rider, but also one who was hit by somebody three times. Well, not one person, but three different people one year. That was pretty bad. There is a good community of friendly people here though. There really is. And I think it's a place one person can make a difference. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, which is what you've done. It's what I'm trying to do yeah. with help from my friends. And speaking of friends, thank you, Mark, for co-hosting. I'm sorry, for guest hosting. And well, on now, that I, now that I'm the co-host, no, we're no. going to rename this podcast <laughs> called Quantum Signatures and Gravity Fluctuations Podcast. I appreciate your energy and your passion for um, helping our students and our community grow. And thank you for helping me on my podcast. And thank you for getting me in trouble on this podcast. <laughs> so Annette, I'm so sorry. I know you regret it, but I want to end with my favorite joke of 2020. Okay. All right. It's World War One. They're two French soldiers in the German dark forest. Jean-Luc and Jean-Claude. They're both starving. And Jean-Luc comes to Jean-Claude and says, Jean-Claude, I am hungry and I must go and find this thing. I know in the woods it's called the Beckon Tree. I will find the Beckon and bring it back and we will eat the Beckon from the Beckon Tree. Jean-Claude says, yes, go find the Beckon and I will eat it with you. So Jean- Jean-Luc goes into the woods. He's gone. He's gone. He comes back later, a few hours later, and he's torn. His, his uniform's torn. He's bleeding, and he's been shot in the shoulder. Jean-Claude says, Jean-Luc, Jean-Luc, what happened? Where is it back on? And Jean-Luc says, I was wrong. It was not a back on tree. It was a ham bush. And thank you for listening to Annette on Education. Bye-bye.